afternoon, good morning, good evening, and good night. Just for the pedantics amongst you, you're all about Windows Phone Insight Podcast, show number 87. Welcome, I'm Ewan Spence, joined as always by some of the most knowledgeable commentators, speakers, and analysts of the Windows Phone world that write for the All About site. Uh, we have Greg Blanford. Hello, everybody. Good to be here. All powered up with your charts and your infograms and everything for start of the week and the Nokia results, which we shall be looking at shortly. Isn't that true, Rafe? That's absolutely true. Lovely. Uh, we also have Steve Litchfield, uh, who's uh, been busy listening to as many podcasts as possible through um, every single podcast application for Windows Phone 8. Is that fair, Steve? Yes, yes. I've been using it 55 hours per day every day doing this research. So I'm now, the only way you could possibly be doing that is if you're traveling it close to the speed of light for the time dilation effect. But we will come to Steve breaking the laws of physics and getting 55 into 24 later on in the show. As always, your comments are welcome, all about windowsphone.com. You can also find us out there on the social networks on Facebook and Twitter, all the usual places as well. And of course, with the Mobile World Congress coming up, Rafe, I'm going to assume that you can be powering up for pictures and everything that will be popping up through there as you adventure through Barcelona this year. Yes, I'll be there covering all the, the news that's coming out. We just had Nokia announce the fact they're doing a press conference there on Monday the 24th, 8.30. I guess it's open season on rumours now as to what's going to be announced, but the I think all the smart money is on probably some more in the low end. There's been some leaks around the Nokia uh, 630 and 635, including one of them being the first dual SIM Windows phone device, uh, perhaps with a bigger screen, so not uh, a direct descendant of the 620 or a replacement for that device, but uh, more thinking maybe four and a half, five inch screen with that kind of mid-tier pricing that made the 620 very popular uh, last year, I think we'll also see something at the high end. The Verizon uh, Lumia icon, which we've written about on the site, sort of appeared on the Verizon website, so sort of been announced, but not officially announced by uh, Nokia or by Verizon. And that's in the kind of the 900 or the 920, 930 series. Um, that's the Verizon specific one, but I'm sure there'll be a global variant and that being announced at MWC. And again, maybe a five inch screen, probably the same specification as the 1520 otherwise. So with that 20 megapixel camera, Snapdragon 800 process and quite a lot of extra. So it'll be, if you like, the new flagship. And that one to me feels a little bit overdue. I imagine there'll also be some accessories announced, particularly with a, a Bluetooth smart or Bluetooth low energy theme. And then, of course, there's been lots of rumours around the Nokia Normandy handset. Now, this is um, reportedly, allegedly, whatever word you want to use, uh, based on Android. But it's very much going to be a forked version of Android. And it's going to be the replacement for sort of Asher or rather next in the Asher evolution. That's Nokia's feature phone lineup. So think about it as a smartphone or a Nokia Android device. Might be a bit misleading. It's really going to be Asher on Android in much of the same way that Asher currently runs on Series 40 and at one point was going to be on a Linux derivative called Meltemi. So uh, that one's generating lots and lots of buzz on Twitter and elsewhere. But I think people might be sort of misinterpreting what happens there. But all of that should happen at MWC and uh, it's all going to happen underneath a tree on the Nokia stand. Indeed. Now, now it's fair to point, it's, it's based on the Android, it's probably going to be based on the Android open source project, not Android with your open handset lines and Google stuff on there. Lots of complicated. But if I have a question, we're going to come sure. on to the Nokia results right in a second. But it time kind of ties into this. How did Nokia stop MWC being awake? 
Yeah, it's a good question because, of course, we're expecting the completion of the micro acquisition of devices and services to happen sometime in Q1. Now, there's an open debate as to whether that will happen before MWC, which is the end of February. They've got all of March that they could potentially announce it in. I wouldn't be entirely surprised um, if it happens in, in March. That was always kind of the expectation. But there is still a chance it could happen before then. But, of course, all the planning for the event would have happened beforehand. So it's not really like Microsoft will have much say in any of that and you know there's all kind of legal restrictions and stuff we've talked about before um for some people i guess it will be a way there's no way avoiding that but really you know it it doesn't change anything um in one sense you know all the planning's been done ahead of time and actually when it will start disappearing or changing if you like is when you know it's completed and there's been a, a year go by but i su- suppose it, it is an end of an era and there's no way of avoiding that but I guess the direct way to avoid awake is to announce interesting things and make people interested in how it continues under Microsoft's ownership. Um, because they do have an interesting PR challenge here because it is a major turning point in the company and many people, especially in Europe, are going to see it as a negative. And when we look at, and let's come to them now, the Nokia results, especially in the Lumia sales, you know, you've got two strong points of thing is going away and thing is going away. That's a tough narrative for a PR team to counter. I mean, it is. and. It is important because that's the way that the companies perceive them. It's kind of the, if you like, the lens through which Nokia or Microsoft's new smartphone division will be seen in the next few months. Um, and especially if you add in that kind of potential stuff around Android, it gets even more interesting because I, I actually think it, it makes sense. It could be an on-ramp for uh, Microsoft products. It, it would effectively be like uh, Amazon's Kindle device, but running you know Microsoft services with an evolved version of the the Azure OS. But it's a tough one to sell to the press. And coming on to that, you've also then got this end of Nokia as a you know smartphone manufacturer. I mean, from the Nokia point of view, they'll say, well, we've got a continuing business, and there's lots going on with NSM, with here, with advanced technologies. But looking at the the hardware business, yes, so uh, it is a challenge, and I think it's something that is particular to Western Europe and to a lesser extent the Asia-Pacific markets it might not be appreciated in the Americas that you know, Nokia is a much-loved brand and, you know, it will have an effect when it becomes Microsoft. You know, it, how they choose to brand the phones, I mean, likely stories, it's, they're all going to become Lumia devices. They'll no longer be Nokia Lumia. They'll be Microsoft Lumia. Whether Microsoft brand gets on those phones, we don't know yet. We'll have to wait and see. But I think it's a kind of an open question. Um, but at the same time, I think you can read too much into that. And it's easy to sort of get bound up in, in seeing this and sort of all big change and everything. And, and of course it is. But at the same time, it's the same design team. It's the same software development team. It's the same engineers, the same marketing people, the same cons people as there were before. You know, this is very much Microsoft is absorbing Nokia's device and service. It's not like a merger where sort of one company overwrites the other. Now, of course, it has a cultural change in the longer term, but you know, it aside from the issues of was it inevitable, which I think the results make clear that it had to happen. Um, yeah, it's a, an interesting question. I mean, do you have a view on it, Ewan? I think it's going to be tough. And also, we've talked before here on the podcast of the, the difference in culture, the, the the, the shizu that you have that, that, that still permeates Nokia to a certain extent. Cease. Sort of, cease. I was going to blame the MP3 compression artifacts on that one, okay? <laughs> <laughs> and then you have the, the go get a win, our developers, developers, developers attitude that you you did have at Redmond. It's going to be interesting to see what, what thing the new CEO does. And the, the worry for me is that you have 
Nokia splitting up and, and the PR teams in Nokia divvying up duties and something in Finland and something in Finland with Nokia, something in Finland with Microsoft, some moving, moving over to Redmond and, and not having clear direction. You then have Microsoft between CEOs, reorganizations uh, going on there. Again, you know, still trying to work out their way with possibly a focus more on build in April, their, their developer conference and domestic made of Windows 8 point, Windows 8, partially saved by 8.1 going forward on Windows 9. There's a lot of gaps for a lot of things to fall through. And let's be honest here, the tech press aren't, don't have a natural let's be nice to Microsoft status. If there's something that they can hit them with, they will hit them with it. And then you have the tech press in Europe who goes, you took away our first love. Uh, and, <laughs> you know, Steve will, will, will understand what I mean. Rafe, give it another 20 years, a bit melancholy, a couple more Richard Curtis videos and films in your life, and you'll understand what we mean by somebody's beating up your first love. So that would be tough to counter in the best of circumstances, and neither Nokia services and divisions or Microsoft are in the best positions at the moment. Uh, so now we've had a Rafe being the yay, me being the hold on a minute, Steve, war, famine, death or destruction, take your pick on what's going to happen with this story. I The thing about these big shows, Mobile World Congress perhaps especially, is that you look at them to get a snapshot of a company in its prime, running its speed, releasing products, a roadmap, it's got a history, all of that. And that's the one thing that's not going to happen in this case with Microsoft and Nokia. They're clearly 100.0% slap bang in the middle of a huge, massive transition. And I think everyone, everyone, every single attendee at the conference will know that. I think that it's all very well talked about how will the PR people get the, get the message out. It's not really about PR. Everyone knows that they're right in the middle of something huge and major. They, it's effectively, the history is history. The future is yet to be written. And right now, they're in the middle of who knows where. So... I, I honestly think people will make allowances. I think that is not a cop-out. It's simply saying that people will understand. If things aren't necessarily clear-cut, they will understand. Um, and as we'll be here, I guess, during 2014 to, to look at what comes out of it. Yeah, I think that's interesting. I, I don't know whether it will be that easy for them, because I think, uh, as Ewan sort of hinted at there, sometimes the media isn't terribly kind. And, you know, Microsoft is facing its own set of issues with the new CEO, with the restructuring going on. And there is kind of this danger that the Nokia device and service to moves into a company. You know, previously it was kind of the raison d'etre of Nokia. You know, it's the thing that everyone recognised and talked about. It's going to be a you know a smaller fish within the Microsoft pond. I mean, it's is going to dominate the uh, um, you know devices and consumer hardware division, and it is going to you know, be a, a very big, obvious, open public thing, and that a lot of people are going to be watching it. But it is going to only be part of the Microsoft business, you know. So a lot depends on what happens with Microsoft. But I think you know Steve is right there about MWC. It is a transition event, and you know, looking ahead, we're going to have the Microsoft Build event in April and the reveal of Windows Phone 8.1, and to a certain extent, Windows Phone um, Next stuff as well as Windows Next stuff. And so that might be a chance to, to sort of change the the conversation. So it is sort of going to be a hold on, wait and see what happens a little bit at MWC. But what they do need to do, and it's kind of the, the Nokia part of it and the hardware part of it, is um, you know provide some fresh hardware, provide a continuing story about the portfolio because some of the older devices do feel a bit long in the tooth now. You know, it, it seems mad saying this, but the 520 and the 720 and the 620, all about a year old now, may be feeling a, a bit out of date. And if it wasn't for the 925, the 920 would certainly feel out of date and the even you know something like the 1020 there's comments now around oh i want it running on the new hardware platform the snapdragon 800 and so i think you know burnishing that portfolio will be really the thing to look for at mwc 
And there's also the issue then that you have, let's, you know, the, the end of the key part of the story, but the story that's being, that, that we're dealing with now is the Nokia results. And, uh, you're saying that we have to wait to build another four months. I mean, how many passes does Windows Phone get here, right? Because we, they, they got a pass of, oh, here's Windows Phone 7. Oh, wait till Windows Phone 8. Oh, then Windows Phone 8 was announced and then they pretty much Osborne Windows Phone 7. And then Windows Phone 8 came out and said, give us 12 months. You have all the applications there. It's 12 months. I said, ah, uh, 8.1's coming and we've got a new CEO. Um, now, now it's coming up for MBC. It's like, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. No, 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 April, April. It's going to be fine in April. I, it's not so much yeah, really? fine. Yeah, it, I, I do understand what you mean. I, I don't think it's going to be fine, but that's kind of the next chapter. And I think it's the nature of um, you know, the tech industry, mobile in particular, and some of the reporting that goes around that you always end up looking forward to the next event. I mean, you can you know, put a, a positive spin on things. We'll touch on the results in just a moment. But equally, you know, the discussion around the bigger screen iPhones, that's something that's happening now, as well as the next version of Android, as well as what Samsung is doing with Android. Is it going to try and get independence from Google? You know, those are all, you know, burning issues, just as, you know, you could talk about BlackBerry and them trying to sort of revive their business by switching back to enterprise and maybe doing a service play. And so you get all of that. I think Windows Phone, we you talked in the previous week is sort of about the 10% level and sort of trying to become that third player. And it's in the, that difficult place at the moment. You said it was in kind of the unhappy valley between two places. And that does, I think, have a, an impact on the way it's talk, talked about all the time. Uh, but if you compare it to where it was a year ago when it was just a few percent and it was going nowhere, you know, it wasn't established as the third ecosystem, then you know, things have improved, but it happens slowly. Things don't happen overnight. But the, when it gets talked about, when analysts talk about it, it does always tend to be that forward-looking momentum and you know, the, the sense of inevitability about that. But uh, maybe we could switch back slightly and look at just the, the Q4 results because there were some interesting numbers there. Yes, which numbers shall we start with? Um, how about the bit of Nokia that's being left over? That's performing very well, isn't it? Um, can I be a cynic and just go, look, there are two bits of Nokia. There's the one that's making money and there's the one that isn't. And the one that isn't is being sold for money. That's exactly how I pretty, pretty much put it in the story, in the last set of results. And it's just proved even more true. I mean, if you look at it, um, actually, the, Nokia refers to it as sort of the discontinued business and the continuing business in the results release. And yes, NSN here, Advanced Technologies, they're all doing uh, pretty well. I mean, they make, um, you know, money on its own and quite substantial amounts of it. There's some questions around NSN, uh, particularly maybe its margins are going to come down a bit this year. Um, and it is the vast majority of the business. I mean, if you actually look at the sort of the two, two parts, uh, something like 90% of the revenue is coming from NSN. But then there, there's the, the bit which is advanced technology, which is essentially patents licensing. And that's doing quite well. And that's expected to grow this year. And so kind of the message is that Nokia will have a very sustainable business there and its device and services has been hurting it in the last year. And plus it's obviously going to get paid a lot of money by Microsoft for, for that business. And so going forward, you know, plenty of investment opportunities. I think interest in it will inevitably die away when it's not producing hardware. You know, there's just something not quite as exciting about making the bits that go in um, cell base stations. Uh, and even the maps doesn't get quite as much interest as elsewhere. I think that maps is here, that is, is the one that's really worth watching uh, because there's an awful lot of potential. It's a growth business there. Uh, we're sort of thinking autonomous cars, maps and smartphones. Pretty much every device has a, a location element to some extent and it's facing off against Google, so it's not going to have an easy time of it, but worth watching. And of course, can they exploit the patent portfolio better in advanced technology and keep on researching new things? Certainly, um, 
potential there. But looking at the device and services, it's clear that it's kind of lost more money. So, for example, there was an operating loss of nearly 200 million euros in uh, that last quarter of the year. It kind of makes it fairly obvious why the business had to be sold. Nokia wasn't making money from it. That prospect of that changing wasn't going to happen. They weren't getting to the sort of 15 to 20 million smartphone devices that they needed to break even. And on top of that, the mobile phone business is, is suffering because more people are buying smartphones. And so the average selling price is coming down, the margins getting thinner there. The mobile phone business is actually still relatively healthy. Nokia's making money on that part of the business. It's the smartphones that have been kind of the anchor, if you will. Um, so that's kind of the pure financial terms. Uh, I, I guess come back to you on that, Ewan, and then we'll go on to just talk about the unit volumes, which is probably the thing that caused most comment. Oh, I think the unit volume got it all round. Look, Nokia's shareholders should be very happy. Um, if we go back five or six years and we look at the landscape um, that was out there, Motorola got bought out, you know, they were gone. Sony Ericsson kind of fractured. Sony took some bits, Ericsson took network and it, and it done over. And a lot of the big names are in huge trouble. Palm, Blackberry, Whoa, okay, kind of, I'm not dead yet, don't put me on the cart. When you think about those companies that, that were around at the start of the 21st century uh, and where they are now, you know, if you discount new competitors like Apple, like Google, Nokia's actually come out on top. Okay, they didn't ride the wave, they didn't disrupt themselves, uh, and, you know, there are business cases all, all down told. But at the end of the day, they've, they've come through the first wave of smartphones, the sort of indies and small companies, before the American Oglyars came on board. They've survived, they've transitioned out, and they've transitioned out, and they still have shareholder value, they still have income. It's not the same as it was in 1999, but they're still there and they're still swinging. Uh, and Nokia as a company have reinvented themselves. They, they, they went from tire company and welly boots and TVs and routers into smartphones, and now they're into networking equipment and, and research and geolocation stuff. So, as you know, if we were all about Nokia.com, which many people think we are, but we're <laughs> not, you know, we would we were going, the company has survived, the company has had a rough period, it maybe should have jumped a year or two sooner to, to this sort of plan and not swung away with giving a final swing with Windows Phone, but I think emotionally they had to. So from that point of view, yay. From the point of our time as a symbian, it is, you know, things die and and you mourn them and you grieve for them. And I'm just about at the fourth stage of that process now. For Windows Phone, I, I worry that Microsoft are not going to be able to iterate fast enough and that Windows Phone will be dug down inside red and politics and be forced to follow another Piper's tune without an external influence such as Nokia driving the platform forward. There are many, many issues. Um, <laughs> this, this, this process this of Microsoft buying Nokia's services and device division, I think will slow Windows Phone down. And wow, it really needs slowing down at this moment in time, doesn't it? Ray? Yeah, I mean, that's the obvious risk here. And I think it's an imponderable in that we can't really answer it at the moment. On the other hand, you know, you could say, will the benefits of having everything under one roof come into play? Possibly. It's a question that isn't just about um, smart devices, though, in my view, because there is a coming together of all the various platforms and it's, you know, the idea of three screens and all of that is starting to become more important. I do wonder whether the timing of this might be just right. I mean, there is this suggestion or this idea, which I think is quite right, that Microsoft basically missed the wave on, on mobile, but it's not the first time it's happened to the company. And, you know, 
underestimating or underplaying what Microsoft can do, I think is a mistake that a lot of people tend to make. You know, it's, it's still with us and it's got plenty of money to play in the game. Quite what form that will take remains to be seen. And while it's, you know, you get some commentators saying you know, they should give up on doing their own thing in mobile and they should just sell their services over the top of other platforms, and that'd be Android and everything else. And that discussion is going to keep on happening. But I think it's a mistake to kind of, it's very easy to be an armchair analyst and say, do that, do this. But turning those kind of multi-billion corporations is you know, far from far from simple. And so it's a discussion and a debate that's going to keep on going. We're obviously going to keep on, on talking about it. But I think there's, not surprising, there does tend to be a certain amount of pessimism and gloom when something like this happens. But equally, you can see the opportunities in it. And I think there may be a lot of people who end up surprised by what happens. And I, I don't think there's an automatic assumption there will be a slowdown. I think there may be um, an issue and people will look for it. And if they look for it, they'll probably find it. But it's a question we'll have to look at in a couple of years' time. And I think Microsoft is well aware of the need to speed things up. And, you know, Nokia changed itself an almost unbelievable amount in the last couple of years in terms of the speed with which it was producing devices and releasing software updates and doing interesting things and innovating. And, you know, it's it's really got a reputation for that now. Some of the hardware it's released have been really first class and, it, you know, everyone's going, oh, it's Microsoft that's holding Nokia back. But what's to say that Nokia culture can't sort of be taken into Microsoft and have a positive impact and everything gets sped up? Danger? Um, indeed. There, there's, <laughs> there, there's plenty of examples that, that are both ways, but... Uh, that's the point. It's kind of uncertain because you can find evidence both ways. Oh, Just, God, find me one company that Microsoft's absorbed that's done better after Microsoft bought you, it. You could look at something like the, the Skype acquisition, which has been pretty successful. Yeah, okay. uh, and you know you can go further back in time and find other ones as well. Of course, it's a danger. I mean, let's just get back to the uh, results because I do think it's worth talking about the volumes yes. of Lumi units. Basically, there was a, a bit of discussion because Nokia didn't actually put them in the press release, uh, but they did later confirm that there were 8.2 million now. The point about that is it's down sequentially because it was 8.8 .8 million yeah. the previous quarter. 8.2 Lumia, million Lumia devices, so there's not sort of wiggle room with some strange Ashen device in there either, is there? No, I mean, you could wiggle room with a 2520, but that's probably, you know, Hundred thousand units. So okay, so, so eight point two million and seven. <laughs> well, that's maybe a little unkind to the twenty five twenty, but the the other way of looking, of course, that they've more than doubled the sales year on year. I mean, I think the disappointment was here because people expect the holiday season this last quarter of the year to be substantially higher than the previous quarter of the year, and that is actually the usual pattern. And this definitely does raise concerns about why this is happening and why has it gone down. And Microsoft will have to answer. You know, I guess it will be Microsoft going for answer questions about the trajectory of Lumia sales. Um, I think it's easy to be just entirely doom and gloom about this. But you know, if you look at the uh, product roadmap in terms of what got released, we're talking about the 1520 and the 625 uh, for the most part. And some of the old devices are actually feeding a bit longer too. We do have the 1020 to be fair as well, but that is kind of a niche device. And so I suspect this is as much as anything, the result of a bit of stagnation of sales, but also selling decline and things like that. You can look at other reasons. I mean, I've seen some people suggesting it's because uncertainty around the Nokia Microsoft acquisition. Yeah, that's, that's perfectly possible. In all honesty, it was below what I was expecting. I, I thought would be doing nine or or 10 million talking about that kind of number it will really be interesting to see what happens in the first six months of 2014 because that's going to be the really really telling thing um but it plays into what we were saying earlier once there's sort of this uncertainty anything that can be read as negative news you know, 
it comes as a, a poor result or shocking result. Uh, don't get me wrong, 8.2 million isn't a good result, but I think you have to put some context in it and to say it's not catastrophic. It doesn't really change the context of the conversation. And actually, it sort of tells you exactly why Nokia decided to sell device and services. I mean, my, my own personal view on it, a combination of that selling thing, but also the low-end device is doing better than anyone really expected in the sort of third quarter of the year, you know, that last summer months. And then there was a bit of a bounce back from that in the, in you know, this last quarter. So it'll be the expectation in Q1, Q2, can it maintain the sort of 8 million and then start growing again? We'll have to wait and see. I mean, the question I have, Rafe, is, you know, we, we look at where the growth was in Lumia and it's always been in the low end and particularly the Lumia 520. And it's at that point I go back and, and look at the discussions that we had planning Nokia World at the end of October and the expectation that the 525 might have been announced. And then when it did, it came out five weeks later and was only available in Singapore. Nokia went into the Christmas market without a new low-end handset. And, and I know people say, oh, it's just, a little, it's just a little bump in RAM and stuff. It's not that much difference. But in terms of marketing, Apple showed that, you know, it was easier to sell a 5C than it was to sell a one-year-old uh, iPhone 5 on a price discount. Do you think that that sort of, I'm not going to say mismanagement of the portfolio, but not having new things ready to go at Christmas, you know, I mean, let's suppose 1520 never really hit the shops in any volume, and 1320 we're still waiting on. Do you think that contributed to these Q4 numbers? There's always going to be gaps where the sort of portfolio isn't as strong as it is elsewhere. And these, you know, they do go in cycles. And Nokia was strong earlier in the year because it did have that announcement of, you know, well, it was 625, 2720, and then the 925, which I think really helped the third quarter numbers. And maybe that has stepped back a bit in the fourth quarter. But I, I still think it is disappointing, um, the 8.2 million number. I don't think there's any way to, to get away from that. So, Yes, you know, there is that mismanagement of the portfolio. I think it's more the way things um, break down sometimes. I mean, equally, you can turn it around and say, you know, this was the quarter when the new iPhone models came out. There were new low-end Android models coming out as well. So it's never going to be one individual factor. It's you know, multiple factors combining together. That is a question uh, that we'll be able to address throughout 2014 uh, and potentially onwards beyond that would be nice to think we'll also be in 2015 as well um, or whether we just end up being all about network services who knows on that one uh, podcasting we touched on that briefly and of course you're um, fully aware of what a podcast is if you're listening to this one Steve well, let's be fair you didn't just write 7,500 words over a single weekend of it. this is your, your ongoing quest to find the perfect podcast client for Windows Phone yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I joked earlier, I was spending 55 hours a day. It kind of felt like that at some point. It, realistically, at 15 different podcatching clients, you wouldn't believe there are that many, but there are. Uh, certainly outside America, where you, they get, kind of get podca podcasts more integrated. Windows Phone, for the rest of the world, we have to make do with third-party clients. Um, I've been living with two or three of my favorites day-to-day, -day, listening literally day-to-day, -day, and the other 11 or 12, uh, I gave about an hour each at exploring their functions, writing them up, screenshotting, testing various things out. And I hope I got the flavor right. And in one particular case with PCAST at the, right at the end, the 15th of the 15th, apparently I did miss um, the, the car mode, so I actually went back and added that as well. So hopefully I've been responding to feedback in the comments and integrating some of the features I, I might perhaps have missed. I'll, you can't catch every single um, nuance of an application just in, in, in an hour or so of usage, but... Uh, 
I would say we've got about two or three um, main contenders. The interesting thing, the really interesting thing, maybe Rafe can com- comment on this, is that of 15 podcatchers, 15 applications in a very, very competitive part of the Windows Phone ecosystem, none of them, absolutely none of them, I would say, would get more than 80% the way to where they, they need to be to be competitive with the likes of Pocket Cast and Dog Catcher on Android, and even and the Apple Apple's own um, podcast program. None of the 15 gets within 80%. And that's tragic. They, they're all either bugged or flawed. And, and in every case, the developer knows that. The developer knows what's wrong. It's just a question of manpower for them to get the fixes in place, do the testing, to get the, uh, the applications released. I still think we're a good two or three months away from having an outright winner, something, an application which is actually perfect, working in an optimized way within Windows Phone 8, and which everyone can be happy with, and I, I can be happy to recommend. And until that time... I guess it's um, it's podcast lounges slightly out in front with Brimcast, Pcast, and Podcast Picker sort of um, snatching its heels in second place. But they've all got a long way to go. They've literally they've all got months of development ahead of them. I would say. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I think this does tend to happen in any software development project, partly because you know once you get something to a certain standard, there's then always improvements to be made. And uh, it's probably fair to say, Steve, you're one of the more uh, picky customers when it comes to getting your podcast application absolutely right. Um, I use Podcast Lounge and I don't really have any complaints whatsoever. It works fine for me. It does exactly what I want it to do, which is making sure I've got content downloaded in the background. So when I come to listen to it, I've got stuff to listen to and it makes it easy for me to find podcasts as well. But I do accept there are some people who, you know, as you said, it's that 80% level. Uh, there are some ways that Windows Phone works, the API limitations and kind of how mature the platform is, it probably does have an impact here, particularly on some of the background downloading functions and, and stuff like that. Um, I think you're perhaps a little overcritical, Steve, but uh, I guess it's you're still searching for podcast heaven, in that utopia where you've got the perfect application. Well, if there was only one or two applications, I could think, okay, well, let's just be glad we've got one. On the Sim- the Symbian world, we had one, maybe two. <laughs> I think, okay, I'm, gl- I'm just glad I've got an application that basically does what I want. Let's not worry about the fact that it's perfect. Here we've got 15, 15 applications by 15 different, different developers, most of whom are pretty sophisticated and professional. And I would expect at this point to have something slightly closer to that on other mobile platforms after, what, two or three years of Windows Phone development. Um, I should be uh, said that I've actually met with a couple of the developers, um, Richard Castle from Ignis, who produced um, uh, Podcast Lounge, and he's shown me a beta of their version two, and it really is um, pretty impressive. And all singing, all dancing, he's rethought the UI and how people access the most the latest podcasts, and new playlists, and so forth. I'm sure he won't mind me sharing that. It's really very impressive, but I think he's still, with beta testing, still a couple of months away from that being made public. So, as ever, with everything in the entire Windows Phone world, we have to wait. Patience, the best is round the corner. Well, I think that's the case for pretty much everything. Just out of curiosity, what is it that is missing in that 20% that would make for the, the perfect podcast? I mean, is it the same thing in each app or is it different things in each app, Steve? It's nearly always different in every application. To give you an example, Podcast Lounge, the main thing against it is that you, you go into your favorites and now they all are little, the, the podcast artwork with little blue numbers saying how many new ones there are on each, each feed. There's no ordering whatsoever. You can't tell which is the newest, which is the latest. I want to be able to see a list so I can start from the latest and work my way backwards if, if I feel the need. So I've always got the latest information, the latest news and so forth. In other applications, typically, it tends to be bugs. It doesn't remember the playback position properly. The screen corrupts. Uh, the 
there's always some <laughs> in every single case there is i find a different flaw and i listed all of them in the article so do please go and read that to people listening to this um there's there was no one program that had a perfect ui no one program that had a flawless operation and the further down the functionality tree went i guess there was slightly more reliable operation but then the application was doing less um I, yes, I do want it all. And every time I rewrite and update this article, Rafe, I add another column to my table of t- my checklist of things that it has to do before I'm prepared to sign it off. And I'm prepared to do that. So every time I update it, I will add another column, another thing I wanted to do, another thing I will not compromise on. And I'm not going to stop doing this until I find an application that ticks all the boxes and is bug free and uh, is totally reliable. So there. Yeah. Well, Steve, you are perhaps moving the goalposts. And I should say that Steve is uh, a kind of a past master at finding uh, bugs and apps. If it exists, he'll find it within about 30 seconds of starting uh, an application. I was about to ask Steve is if you got all the developers in a room and mixed up all the code together, are all <laughs> the elements of the perfect podcast client actually programmed in at least one of the clients? In other words, if you could mash them all together, is there a perfect client or is there still uh, an issue or a fundamental decision that's not been fixed yet. Oh, this isn't rocket science. Is we've had perfectly good podcast clients on Symbian, um, on. I don't, uh, no, no, I'm not asking that we have them, but do we have all the elements in all the podcasting? Is it key to now just getting one client that takes all the correct elements from the existing Windows Phone podcast clients? Yes, you could probably take. There are two or three applications. I mean, Podcatcher and Podcast Picker in particular. They have such clean, intuitive UIs. They they don't try and add a thousand different functions. They basically do the basics. They do it very well, very intuitively. They're just not bug-free yet. And I guess uh, if if I was to really get all those developers in one room, I'd say, look, let's take 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 one of these apps. Let's apply our combined resources and get it one hundred point zero percent bug-free and call it a day and all go down the pub. Having said 100.0% that, hundred point zero percent bug-free. Yeah, yeah. But we're developers you're of that caliber. Take, you're not even going to. I mean, I'll be happy with the two Sigma bug free, to be perfectly honest. But oh, that's how demanding Steve is. Developers, be glad yeah. when I review your applications. <laughs> of course, part of the problem here is that everyone's idea of the perfect app, whichever genre or type yeah. it happens to be, is different. And actually, I think part of the issue here is developers have made conscious decisions to design things in a certain way or do things in a certain way. Bug fixing is, is something else, and I think. Podcast Lounge is a good example of this where you know, the discovery and play of podcasts is designed to be a certain way and it may not fit in with you know people's expectations. And certainly for me, I, I don't care about when they were released. Um, as Steve was talking about, they're kind of ordered by time. I'm more interested. I want to listen to a specific podcast and I'll just want to pick up whatever the, the latest one is there and I'd like it sitting there ready to go. So I, you know, there is an element of that in all of this. Uh, the other thing, Steve, that I know you've been trying out is the Lumia 1520. This is kind of also known as the big screen Windows phone device. So what's been your you know, kind of overriding impression or your view on it? We'll get you to talk about the camera in just a little bit, but does a, a device that big work? It depends what you mean by work. I mean, technically, I, I've just been writing my um, the script for my phone show review, so this is all fairly fresh in my mind. I mean, technically, it's a wonderful, superb, fantastic slice of silicon. I mean, it, it's a glorious piece of technology. You, you, you pick it up in your hands, you rotate your hands around it, and you think, wow, this is just fabulous hardware, fabulous software inside on the whole, um, and it's wonderful specifications, wonderful components, speaker, camera, screen, clarity is gorgeous. And you think, well, you know where can it go from here but the thing is it's because they've gone for this tablet form factor they put their absolute flagship specifications in something that's actually 
probably too large for 95% of the people. I know that the phablet thing is in, and I've been using a Galaxy Note 2 and uh, just about getting away with it. But this thing is huge. It's this, the 1520 dwarfs my Galaxy Note 2. And everyone I've, I've handed this 1522 has said, I basically handed it back within 15 seconds saying, I cannot use that. And they used to kind of say that about some of the previous five inch screen phones, but this time they really do mean it. And the human hand isn't getting any bigger. Uh, so there's, there's my worries about the form factor, about whether there really is a demand for something this size on, on a large scale. And my second worry, Rafe, is that the fact that uh, having been playing with it now for about a week and trying to use it, it's very, very evident that it is basically a big phone. And yes, Windows Phone 8 works very smoothly, and certainly on this chipset and processor it works incredibly fast. But they really could have done more to optimize the some of the applications to use that big screen and, and the higher resolution. I just feel that, uh, that corners have been cut and they haven't put enough time and, and effort. For example, some of applications, turning the phone into landscape, I would have expected a kind of split-screen view, like an in, in email client where you'd have a list of uh, emails and on the right-hand side you'd have a pane with the contents of the email. That sort of really obvious thing that you do with a larger screen device. They just haven't done that. and it, it, The software is, is great, it's fast, it's fluid, but it feels a bit unfinished, and the hardware is just a tiny bit too out there, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it, it does make sense. It was kind of very similar to the impression I got. Um, I think the question around the software is a really interesting one because there's very clearly you know, two markets. You know, Use the biggest screen and do stuff with it or just have everything kind of blown up bigger in size as if it's been put in a photocopy and the 200% button press. And yeah. talking to people, it's quite clear that some people do just want the bigger phone without the optimizations. And so it, it's a, a tricky challenge. And talking to some of the manufacturers, and I've talked to Nog about this to HTC and Samsung, and they've all sort of said, actually, the research we get back from users say most people just want a bigger bigger phone and they talk about you know, the gray market and they talk about different segments i mean the other thing i'm curious i was really skeptical about the 15 20 and that size at all and no way not at all but i did come away thinking yes i can see how people you know would want to use that it, it kind of grew on me i was wondering if something similar happened for you you know because i think you were a skeptic about big phones like that you're saying not for you but do you think it makes sense for some people Absolutely, absolutely. These things are finding a niche. The market sales have proved that. I mean, the Galaxy Notes have done wonderfully well across the world, and this is obviously Nokia taking a stab at the same market. And let's face it, an awful lot of people on their smartphones these days, they do consume media. I mean, I've watched my daughter using a three-and-a-half-inch screen iPhone, for goodness sake, and 90% of the stuff she does on it is consuming videos, uh, Netflix and YouTube and so forth. Um, and BBC iPlayer. And let's be honest, if you've got a larger screen, you can do all that stuff much better. And as people's need for, for people's need for a smartphone changes over the years, three, four, five, six years ago, people were using a smartphone as a, a, a literally converged phone and they're doing all sorts of advanced geeky stuff on it. These days, a lot of that stuff is just taken for granted and people have moved on and say, right, I now want it to be my television. I now want it to be my, my tablet and so forth. And so there is a need for these larger screens and there is a market. I skeptical is at which point that, that that mass market appeal starts to become really quite niche appeal and i, I just I, I worry that nokia have gone too far with the six inch with the fairly large bezels i think they have gone a fraction too far but the market will prove me right or wrong yeah i mean i i wonder the same whether a five and a half inch phone might have done better i mean i know you've been comparing it to the samsung galaxy note 3 uh, leaving aside the software issue well maybe comment on software afterwards i mean which would you say has the be the better hardware and the sort of the design you know that first glance impression oh absolutely no question the the lumia 1520 is drop dead gorgeous and apart from that my usual worries about you know sealed 
sealed battery. And that, that is a minor point these days, and I've written editorial on that. Apart from that, that there's just no faulting Nokia's hardware prowess. And you just pick up 5020, you literally want to keep fondling it in your hand. You pick up a Samsung Galaxy, and you literally want to put it straight back down on the desk again. And there's no <laughs> oh, yeah! Oh. <laughs> the, the thing that came for me from the 1520 was how much I was looking forward to having that specification, that kind of technology in a smaller device, you know, the 930 or whatever it's going to be, you know, with that kind of updated camera module, particularly the screen technology, but also that, that feel in the hand. Yes, obviously, I'm going to bring in the camera at this point, and that may be a good segue for you, Rafe, but I, something like the 1020, but with a, the same camera, the, the 1520's chipset and a slightly larger screen, I think we could have the best of all worlds, yeah. Before we get on to the 1520, Euron, I know you've been using the Xperia, which I believe is an even bigger uh, screen. Yes, like and, you know, also, probably, yeah. it, it's when does it get into the tablet device? And you've used 7-inch tablets as well as the 10-inch tablets, and there is a, a crossover there. There is, yeah. But um, what I'm finding, and I should be personal, personal here, is I, I hate that middle ground. Um, I mean, I can use these devices. They're great. But the two devices that have got me excited recently what I've been doing and trialing it, I, all tech stuff is, first of all, the Surface Pro 2, uh, which Microsoft have given me a demo unit you know, of. This is where it, it's a tweener. It's between laptop and tablet. It's, it's basically it's the old compact TC1000, but with a modern operating system on it. Um, and it does the split screen that Steve was talking about there on the 1520. And when you have the, uh, the the Metro interface, it still seems to be called Metro on, on the Surface as well. It's actually a very good tablet. It weighs tw- it's twice as much as an iPad Air, um, but it does twice as much stuff, especially when you're using things like audio editing software in Windows Live Writer. But the one that's been enjoying me, and, and I've got to be fair, I've only had it in my hand for 36 hours, uh, is Sony's Xperia Z1 Compact, which was announced at CES two weeks ago. Essentially, it's the it's the five inch Sony Xperia Z range, but in a four point three inch screen device. Now they're calling it compact. I'm like four point three is not compact. <laughs> three point five is compact. Four point three is slightly big, but I'm actually it essentially it is the small handset with the same power as the bigger ones, and and I much prefer carrying a big and a small rather than try and find a tweener device. Now, that might partly be because I've not got a hold of the review 1520 because Steve managed to pry it out of Rafe's hands, and now Rafe is trying to pry it back out of Steve's hands. So I'm just going to sit here and go, yeah, all right, guys, I'm fine. Uh, so, But, you know, even when it's like the, the, the Lumia 625, it felt a little bit too big for me. Um, but again, it's personal. I know there's a market out there for these fablets. Um like Steve, I hate the name Fablet. It's, really, you make it sound like a prefab from the 1950s. It's just, I, I love the fact that we now have form factors for everybody and we have price points that go on the same team as guys. I just wish that we could have price points where you have powerful small handsets, powerful big handsets, and cheap big handsets and cheap small handsets, rather than the moment where it seems to be a linear of small is cheap and big is large. I don't want a line, I want a cloud uh, of, of that there. Uh, and I think also that's one thing that Windows Phone could look to. It kind of has that sort of line of cheapest phone, biggest, powerful. Um, I, I want to see that tilted and brought round again. I'd love to see something like the 525, given the specs, you know, okay, not the camera ones, because Steve will start going on about physics and stuff um, in his 55-hour day. But I'd just love to have a small handset with oomph. Yeah, it's interesting, because that's something we hear a lot in the comments and in the mail we receive. And just kind of seeing the early signs of that with the 6625 and the 1320 kind of being cheap but big, we haven't really got the kind of small but high end yet. And it'd be interesting to see whether, whether that changes. And what you were saying there about 
carrying a big and a, a small device is something I understand. You know, it's why I kind of prefer the, the 925 or the 1020 scalar device and then carry a tablet or a, a laptop with that. But for those that just want a, a single device, you know, maybe a, the phone is the only smart device they have or maybe have a desktop computer or a full-size laptop. It's interesting. I think it's a, a valid argument. And so there isn't a wrong or a right about this. What I do want um, to ask Steve about is the camera, though, because we've had a lot of questions about this on the 1520. When I was using it, I felt I was pleasantly surprised because I was a bit sceptical about you know bringing what was effectively the, the 1020 technology with the oversampling into a camera module that was a bit like what you have in the, the 925, and it's kind of marrying the two together. I felt they actually did a pretty good job, but I know people want to hear... Um, Steve's view on this and also get you to talk a little bit about OIS in the video mode, which is, uh, I think, an interesting thing that people may not have picked up on, Steve. Yeah, let's start with that last bit first, the OIS. Um, The 1520 um, uses this kind of scaled down uh, camera from the 1020, but it's also scaled up from things like the 925 and 920 in a sense in terms of the optical image stabilization. Now, the the, the smallest um, camera phones have this MEMS actuator, this is really responsive system which uh, does this this hardware optical image stabilization. And when they said the 1020 has got it as well, I thought, how on earth have they managed that with this huge monster camera? And they said, ball bearings, ball bearings is the answer. <laughs> they showed them how it worked and I was a bit skeptical. Yes, OIS kind of works in 1020, but it's clearly not as responsive as that in the likes of the 920, the 925 and now the 1520. And I did my video head-to-head comparison the other day up on the site between the 1020 and the 1520. And you can see for yourself, the 1520 is much smoother. So I, I do have high hopes that we've got, you know, a combination of there's a, the pure view oversampling and the pure view zoom um, from the, the higher spec camera devices, but with the really responsive OIS, making the 1520 potentially a very, very good video capture device. Of course, add in the fact that it's got a really clear screen outdoors. However, there's the big caveat that it is on fairly early software. We say this with every single Nokia Lumia, in fact, every single Nokia device, full stop. <laughs> but its first firmware has always, almost always got some restrictions and some bugs. And the initial photographs and initial video from 1520, 1520 all appears to have slightly too much contrast, perhaps a bit of a purple tint, perhaps a bit too sharp. I'm sure they're going to fix that. There's no point in pulling out too much in terms of absolute verdicts at this stage. There will be firmware updates for 1520, and they will improve both the stills and the video. I have to say, just judging on the quality of the hardware itself, and, and the size of the module, you've been hinting, Rafe, that they can perhaps transplant this 1520 chipset and camera module into, you know, lower price devices and, and smaller devices uh, through the rest of the year. I think that might be quite exciting. If the, if the 1520's camera with fixed software becomes the, sta- the standard, you know, camera component for Nokia smart, or I guess Microsoft smartphones in 2014, then that's a pretty solid line of, uh, line of devices. It, it is, and I'm very confident that will happen. We've kind of already seen the hints of this in the Verizon kind of specific Lumia icon, and I'm, I'm sure there'll be, as I say, a 920 or 930, whatever it ends up being called, with this uh, camera module in it. And like you say, some updates will undoubtedly improve things. I think when you're talking about kind of the, the base performance of this, it's pretty similar to what you're getting in you know, the 925 as it is now after the Lumia Black update. But with those software updates, I'm pretty confident that the 1520 module will improve significantly. And so by the time kind of the next set of devices come out with, you know, using that module, it will improve. And you know, so it's always, where does it sit in things? It's not as good as the 1020, I'm sure. And I'm sure Steve would agree with that. But I do think it is 
uh, already a slight cut above the rest and i think that advantage is going to increase and so this will be you know the new you know camera module for everybody to kind of aim at and i'm talking about obviously nokia but also its competitors as well this will become the kind of the new standard for you know non-imaging uh, flagship devices you know, i mean do you think that's steve, fair steve is this you know, something quite exciting really in terms of uh, development of camera phones Oh, I wouldn't say exciting. Now, exciting is the cutting-edge <laughs> stuff. Like the 1020, like the 808, like the N82, all the classic flagship camera phones from Nokia. It's not exciting in that sense. It's probably exciting in an industry-wide, um, gen- raising the bar across the platforms in a sense, but that doesn't really get me off, I'm afraid, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, maybe I'll put it this way. Having the uh, that oversampling technology in a, a, a standard phone, or I should say one that's yeah. not imaging phone, I do think that's interesting because that's what is to me feels like it's increasing the quality and it's kind of comes back to some of this you know computational photography lots of potential there and you kind of wonder what what nokia will do with it next and it's the reframing and all of that kind of thing and obviously you do get that in nokia camera and some of the other devices but obviously reframing works it's kind of it's intended to with that extra you know megapixels available so i mean i was impressed by the 1520 camera far more than i thought i would be um so i guess bottom line steve is it is it a good camera in there leaving aside your love for the 1020 it's got definite potential um i i'm very much aware look it's not just nokia doing this of course if say nokia then produces this 20 megapixel sensor and the pure view technology and the oversampling and so forth and the zooming across their range of devices or what microsoft devices as they'll become called we've got a sony eric sony 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 doing the same thing we've got rumors of sound Samsung producing 20 megapixel sensors as standard. We've got rumors of Apple <laughs> all producing higher megapixel sensors and presumably doing similar things. They've all seen what Nokia is doing by allowing a, a degree of lossless zoom. They've all seen a bit of oversampling. And Apple have been doing a bit of oversampling in low light for, for a couple of years now. So these, this is a, a very common trend. I think Nokia are obviously at the cutting edge of this, but I think we'll see a lot more of it in 2014. And I think, yes, it will improve the user's life. They'll be able to zoom in. They get higher quality and low light. The benefits are all around, I think. Okay, so I think that probably sums up our, our camera discussion for this week and indeed our, our 1520 discussion. We'll no doubt revisit it when we've had a chance to look at the 1320 and maybe in the context of some new devices to come and no doubt that camera module will uh, come up again. Uh, Ewan, I guess it's sort of time for us to wrap up because we're going to be longer than usual this week, so maybe we'll skip the apps for this week, but we'll uh, revisit that next week along with some other rants and discussion topics uh, to keep things going ahead of MWZ. Indeed, we have kept it uh, rather rather um, on course of, of two topics. There's always your comments are welcome back on the website. Uh, and we're going to wrap it up with a W, not with a rap, so you can all relax. This is not a podcast where there will be singing. Rafe, I understand that 361 is doing a musical episode next month. Uh, well, I think perhaps Ewan would like to do that, the other Ewan. But uh, yeah, Ben and I are uh, yeah. uh, more opposed to singing in podcasts. It doesn't seem to work very well. Uh, <laughs> there we go. Uh, and that's why I do a Eurovision podcast. So there we go. Just Ray, Ray, we've mentioned one for you. We've mentioned one for me. Steve, we've got the phone show as well that carries on. Any singing in? There can be. I can do a lot of singing and link through to my different sites. Sorry about that. Oh, my ears. Yeah, there we go. That's why Steve never got to sing for Hawkwind. He was just better at it than the rest of the band. There we go. That's your all about Windows Phone Insight Podcast. 
podcast happened since you've been back. We haven't mentioned Hawkwind for at least nine months, have we, Steve? Send somebody away to Wikipedia, if nothing else. Everybody else, pop on to the website. We will have more chat and discussion next week on the podcast. Carrying on with the editorials, for links and reviews uh, on the website. And, of course, we are warming up. MWC is getting ready. Uh, Steve and I will be working out just where Rafe is going to try and plan on staying. This time, Rafe is going to be wondering just how slow the Wi-Fi will be in the venue. All that coming up and more uh, through the end of January, February, and the rest of the year. For now, thanks to Steve. Bye for now. Thanks to Rafe. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And, uh, yeah, um, thank you for stealing my last line. I'm kind of of lost now. Uh, Bye-bye.